Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to The Midpoint. My guest today is a Michelin star chef, restaurateur, TV personality and consequently one of the best known British chefs in the restaurant world. Angela Hartnett worked in the kitchens of Marcus Waring and Gordon Ramsay before blazing her own trail, launching a string of critically acclaimed restaurants. Her passion for gathering friends and family together to share her delicious fare has inspired her latest project, Dish, a podcast which she hosts alongside Nick Grimshaw. Angela and I will also be chatting to medical scientist and public health nutritionist, Dr. Federica Amati, who has co-authored a new book, Recipes for a Better Menopause. No doubt we'll all be ravenous by the end of this episode, so let's get cracking. Angela Hartnett, thank you so much for joining us on The Midpoint. You are in your chef's whites with an apron on. So you've clearly just had to come away from making something delicious or orchestrating something in a kitchen somewhere. I appreciate your your time with us today. No problem at all. Yeah, it's now interesting. I'm at Birmingham College um, at the Culinary College here. And so teaching three students. So I said, I'll be back in about an hour. <laughs> I'm leaving you to do this. So let's see what I go back to. <laughs> what, what are they making at the moment? They're making a lovely uh, lamb ragu with um, potato gnocchi. So mm. I've left them to get the gnocchi base ready. So mm. and, right, and right there, we have a fusion of Italy and Ireland and Wales. There you and, go, you know, yes. All, those, all <laughs> the influences into your food. But I, before we get yeah. down into food and, and what you're doing now, I, how is your energy as a woman over the age of 50? Because what strikes me when I kind of read about you and your life and the hours you put in and mm. working in you know, kitchens from seven o'clock in the morning to, to midnight or Often and in the early days, certainly, mm. that is extraordinarily demanding on you know on your energy levels and your fitness. Have you noticed any changes in that respect as you've kind of gone oh, through? Oh gosh, yes. As if you get older and you know you get a, you start the menopause and everything. I think the biggest thing for me is the exhaustion. You know, I knew I could go to bed late, get up early, and I could do that days on the trot. And then eventually, my body would say, "Give me a break." But now, after a couple of days, if I do long days, my body's like, "I need." sleep and the other I think it was the other morning I was so happy that I was like I just need to go to bed early and get up late and I felt so much better for it so you do feel an exhaustion and that's what you try and compensate when you get medication or whatever you need to do to get through it I don't think people realize how tired you absolutely feel but especially when you start because also you don't have a good night's sleep you know, if you don't have a good night's sleep, it's really hard to do a great day's work because you're constantly exhausted. So you alluded to it there. Did you decide then to go mm. down the HRT route? I did because I literally was in such... Uh, I was just waking up through the night all the time. I was hot. I couldn't sleep. And I've always slept really brilliantly. I'm one of these people on a plane, I'm out. In a car, I'm out. And suddenly for me to not have a good night's sleep, I just began... And I realised... And I think the breaking point for me was when I... And I've never in my life... And it probably coincided with everything. It was post-COVID. 
it was post-Brexit and the restaurant and the businesses were all like this. Everyone was going to, everyone, not just hospitality. I think every single person was having to deal with their own stuff. I'm not saying we're more important than anyone else. And, and I was talking to a friend and I burst out crying. And in my life, I've never done that. I've just always sort of cups half full, we're fine, we'll manage. And I was like, I just don't know. This is probably the worst time in my life. I just don't know how we're going to get through this. And then what she said to me, she says, how old are you? What's wrong? Remind me. I went, oh, uh, 50, whatever. And she went, maybe it's a bit menopausal. <laughs> I went, oh, my God. I'd never even thought of that. I just thought it was everything else, you know. So sometimes I also think you need a friend to say to you, have a check back on yourself. Because I think women are very good at just carrying on and thinking, we'll be fine, we'll get through it. And actually, you need to step back and go, actually, I'm not fine, I need some help here. Yeah, your experience sounds very similar to mine. I'm a couple of years younger than you, but in terms of I was also, it's around that kind of, whole uh, you know period of time of COVID and loads of other stuff going on and you just didn't know whether your lack of enthusiasm and tiredness was just the world beating yeah. you down and it's such a relief uh, you know when you do come through the other side because of whatever you decide to do whether it's medication or changing your lifestyle that actually you get your energy back because yeah. you know you are in this incredible position now where you've done all this really hard work built up successful mm. restaurants got your Michelin stars you know been you know through as you described there, various peaks and troughs of the economy and mm. riding through all of that. And this should be a period of your life now where you're just imparting wisdom to people. And, yeah. and now you've got the energy to carry on doing that. Yes, exactly. And I think, and also when you speak to other women, you know, I remember speaking to Sky. Um, she runs a, a fantastic restaurant in London. And, and she said she felt like there was just fog in her head for three years and it took her a while. And when you speak to Mariella, who's been a great advocate of it, and, you know, and her husband, Jason, always made me laugh. And he said, Angela, I disagree with her about everything. But I'm telling you now, just sort yourself out, you know, because she's right. And I thought, oh, my God, if Jason's saying it, I must, you know. So, and I think sometimes you don't want to give in. You think you, you can ride it. You know, you can get through it, but actually uh, you need something. And I think, as you say, whatever route you decide, something needs to help you change how you're feeling. And were you turning down projects and, and things that you'd ordinarily have jumped at at that point because you were doubting whether you could manage all those things or, or did you still grasp opportunities? I think I probably grasped opportunities. I think what I did do is I probably um, socialised less or I would cancel stuff. I would say yes to stuff and then go, I'm just tired. I'm not going. I'm just too tired. I'm going to bed. Or we'd go away for the weekend and I'd say, let's leave the day early, you know, because I just feel I need. And it wasn't so much uh, I didn't want to socialise. I just wanted time to myself. And I think that I did notice that I was much more, I just want to be by myself. I don't want to talk to anyone. And and that's not like me. I like my own company and I do like time to myself. But to be consciously making that decision to say, that's it. I don't need to see people. I just want to sit in a room and watch Netflix over and over again on route, you know, and then I'll be fine. But actually you're not because what you're doing is just making yourself very isolated and actually, I think one of the biggest, one of the things I advocate most, although I don't do it enough to my team, is things like exercise and if and fresh air. Not so much go to the gym, but just a walk. One thing I do love is having dogs because that does make you go out every day. Even if it's for 40 minutes or half an hour, it makes you go down the road, get some fresh air. And I, and I really relish that time first thing in the morning don't put a phone on, just listen to the radio and just walk the dog before you have to look at the incessant emails and all that other nonsense that occupies your life that you don't need. There's poor Emma, your producer, <laughs> emailing me, ah, you know, so <laughs> it's one of those things, uh, you know, and I think that's the other thing, isn't it? You know, I think our generation have coincided with 
you know, my mother, when I say to her, well, how was it for you? She says, well, I just don't remember, Angela. It was all fine, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure it wasn't fine, but I don't think one you realise maybe. But also, it's not to say their life was simpler, but my mum had a family and she had her children and she dealt with that. Whereas, you know, you and I full-time jobs and then you've got all this nonsense with your phones and, you know, it's not like you suddenly go home, then this carries on. And so it's constant. And I think that's the big thing in, in the thing is managing that as much as anything to give yourself time. Well, one of the reasons that I was keen to to talk about experiences and share things was because I had a chat with Caroline Harris, the MP who put the menopause bill through Parliament, and she was relaying the stats to me about the amount of women who leave the workplace because they just they feel like they can't cope. And that's fine if you can leave the workplace with a lovely pension or a big nest egg. But a lot of these women leaving the workplace and they're on zero hours contracts, you know, and, and because they can't, they just can't keep going. And so uh, they didn't have access or they weren't aware of their you know right to get HRT or to get help. And, and I think that's really important as well to have prominent women in all kinds of industries beyond the age of 50. Otherwise, we're living in some weird world where you know, women disappear, which I think going back to your point about your mum was probably more, and, and mine, more of their generation would probably just not be out there doing stuff and carrying yeah. on with their careers. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because, and I and I think it's it's a duty of uh, employees, uh, employers, excuse me, to actually, you know, you would, you make, you not you make allowances, but, you know, if someone's pregnant or if someone has long-term sickness or something, you know, you, of course, you look after your team. And I think that's equally the same. You have to realise that it's debilitating sometimes, you know, how you feel when you, when you're hit by the menopause, I think, you know, confidence level, your tiredness, sleep deprivation, constantly feeling, I mean, that everyone's had different things but the thing for me as well it's hot mm. I mean I realise she's great in a kitchen now <laughs> yeah great in a kitchen and I realised probably it started earlier because always I've always felt hot I'm always one of these people that will like I'll go to a hotel and I want the window open straight away and I turn off the heating and or I put the aircon on I like to be cool so that I, I felt when I first started, that's what it was. I was just me feeling hot. But now I come to think about it. It was obviously the menopause. We didn't realise. And I remember filming with uh, Mary Berry and Claudia. And um, we'd be in the green room chatting about whatever the next show was. And I would stand on the on the door, flapping the door because I was so hot. And those was Mary's because she's so thin. It always feels the cold. She's always and got a cardigan like, to hand, hasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she's always got a cardigan and a hot water bottle and two blankets and Claude's the same. And I was like, oh my God, I mean, I'm just, you know. And we always laughed about it. But then I realised now looking back, that's what it was as much as anything. Mm. It's just I was constantly feeling hot. And, and that for me was even worse than feeling tired. Yeah. Especially in the environment you work in, that you come out and you're just sitting there and your face is red and you just think, what is going on? You just feel terrible. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure on TV it doesn't help. Either. No, I mean, I was, quite, I was quite fortunate that most of my kind of symptoms were more about the kind of mood and feelings of right. kind of, you know, fog and anxiety. And, and mm. actually, I, because I didn't get hot flushes, I didn't relate to yeah. those at all yeah. to, you know, menopause. Mm. I always call them the, the hot flush, the, the kind of sitcom version of, a, of a, the, the yes. menopause. Isn't it? It's the one symptom yeah. that everybody seems to know. Um, yeah, yeah, and in fact, course. John Bishop, who was on this podcast, I remember going to watch him do a big show where he did a massive sketch about his wife's menopause. This is about yeah. eight years ago. It was all about the hot flush. <laughs> I, think, I was watching at the time, not, not in that period of my life yet, thinking, is she all right about this? <laughs> Actually, he was an early, as we realised now, he was an early ally. We didn't realise yes, that he was, exactly, you know, yeah. what he was doing. Now, the, the period that you kind of 
kind of rose to prominence in terms of the public's awareness mm. of you um, was this period where the chefs were becoming rock stars, weren't they? And they were appearing on loads that had their own shows, loads of other shows, more than ever before, it seemed, you know, and they and they were kind of filling, you know, entertainment roles as well as pure cook. Before it was kind of cookery shows, wasn't it? But then suddenly mm. food became seen as entertainment as well. And you were very yeah. much part of that zeitgeist and everybody is aware that Gordon Ramsay was your kind of mentor in the early days mm. as well. Did mm. you, did you, I mean, you've done brilliantly in the media, but did it seem to you at the time like something you had to do or you wanted to do? Um, I think when I first started doing it with Gordon, I did it because I was doing it with Gordon and it was lots of fun and he's a great person to sort of film anything with. You know, you you have a good time and he looks after you and it was great. And I think then when you realised what TV can do for your restaurants. I don't think it's you have to. Listen, there's hugely successful restaurants out there that um, don't rely on a chef being on TV, but it helps, you know. And I think, you know, if you want to sell cookery books and you want to keep doing other stuff, I think it's always good to do that. But I think any chef that suddenly thinks, actually, I'm just going to be about TV and ignores their restaurants, they're playing a very dangerous game because you need to know or you have to make sure you've got the team behind you to make sure when you're on screen, everything behind you, you know, a bit like a duck is paddling underneath, paddling really well, smoothly, it's all going well. Because the last thing you want is people going, well, you're never in your restaurant, you're always on TV and blah, blah, blah. So um, I think it's a finding that balance. And I, what I've tended to do over the years is do stuff I want to do. And I think so far it's worked well for me. I, if there's something I look at, I think, actually, you know what, that, does, that feels like an odd show or that I'm not going to have fun. Because I think... How I how it's always worked for me is I've never had to do anything but be myself. And I think if I have to suddenly start playing up or doing something different to camera, it, it doesn't work because I'm very, what you see is what you get. And it's quite obvious on my face that I think this is a terrible thing I'm doing and why am I here? And that doesn't work for anyone on TV. So I think if I believe in it and I think the programme's brilliant and for me, like anything, like any team, if the crew are amazing and generally they're always brilliant. Um, and, I, and I've been very lucky over the years to work with a lot of the same people. So then they know how you work, you know how they work. And, and I think that makes a huge difference. And I can see why hugely successful people like Jamie and Nigella and Delia Smith and Mary work with the same crew all the time because, you know, it, it, you know they're gonna, you're going to look good and they're going to look good. And I think the other thing, I like doing it with people. You know, that's why when, you know, doing Best Time Cook with Claudia and Mary Berry was fantastic and Chris Bavin, we were all the team. I'm not brilliant about, you know, where I think people like Jamie, you know, Gordon, Nigella, they're fantastic. They can do everything to camera. I struggle with that. I can do a little bit. But after a while, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. I want to work with someone and talk to someone and work off them. And that's how I come across better. And I think, you know, knowing that makes it easier for me. Yeah. And your podcast, which you uh, have been very successful in, mm. in the genre with Nick Mr. Grimshaw. Grimshaw. Yeah. <laughs> is a, it's kind of like an unlikely, but really brilliant uh, Very unlikely. Yeah. How did that, how did that come to be? Well, um, he wanted, I think he wanted to do a podcast and then uh, Waitrose did and the production company who make it, you know, it all sort of came together. And they spoke to Nick about it and then it was a case, well, let's try and find a female chef to work with you. And I was one of, I think, three three names. And then um, I being me and, as I said earlier, your poor producer Emma can testify, I'm rubbish at one reading emails properly and two even replying. And... Um, so I didn't really read the email properly and it was just, do you want to, and I read it as I'm going to appear on Nick's podcast, you know, which I thought, okay, that's fine. I'll go and talk about restaurants and stuff. And then um, 
when I they come nearer the day, they said, well, you know, it's an interview to be on it with him and, you know, host it. And I still didn't really read it properly and get it. Anyway, so we went for the day where we do a little screen test together and we both asked questions of each other and we just got on very well. Um, and we took the mickey out of each other. He was laughing, I was laughing. And then apparently afterwards he said, I really want to work with Angela. It's just great fun. And and it's been like that ever since. You know, we have fun. We do get on. We're very different. You know, he takes care of his appearance and he looks immaculate and he's very, very stylish. And Nick will have a different outfit for every podcast. I always say to the crew, um, why the hell are we filming it? It's a podcast. I thought I could just turn off in my shorts and flip-flops and now I have them, you know. And so I, I'm going, is this one coming out? Can I wear the same top? And literally for the first season, I just wore shorts every day and just changed my top because I just wanted, I was hot and I just went to the studio. Um, and we just get on work and it works. Um, and there's a great crew, as I've alluded to before. They're wonderful at making it easy for you. And yeah, it seems to be going, we have to get you on, Gabby. I'd love to come on. You've got to come, to come on. on. It's great fun. And I think it works because it's round a table. Mm. You literally sit down, we give you something to drink, something to eat, and we just have a conversation. And in that respect, it, it's a it's a win-win. You know, no one's trying to catch anyone out. Mm. It's just like having your mates over for something to eat. I think people just love talking about food, don't they? You know, mm. and yeah. Um, I feel like we, my daughter and I were talking about this last night. We were cooking dinner together. She was talking, I won't say who she was talking about, but she was talking about somebody <laughs> who uh, she knows, who she yeah. feels that their food in their home is a bit bland. And she was saying, um, Excellent. yeah, she was Excellent. She was saying, you know, they just don't use, they don't use seeds, they don't use any herbs, they don't use any. And mm. we were we were kind of discussing this as we we're putting the meal together. And it kind of struck me, she's 18, how mm. how much experience she's had and learned just through osmosis, just be being in the kitchen with me, yeah. just watching, watching us cook, and how competent she is at her age. And you know, it does. It's amazing. You, I know that you know we're really, as a society, mindful that you know you've got to educate kids about food. That's how we're going to kind of mm. keep a healthy nation. But um, sure. there's been this kind of trend the other way, hasn't there, for a, for a long time that convenience is everything, processed food is everything. You were were growing up in a house where clearly food was at the centre mm. of, of everything yeah. and the heritage that you've got kind of fed into the kinds of foods you love to make as well. Tell us a little bit about that experience and and how it formed who you are. Someone said to me the other day, we were doing a book club. We do these book clubs in the, one of the restaurants uh, once a month and um, uh, it's a guest author and this guy as he left, he goes, have you remained normal? I said, oh God, you've got to meet my family. That, that's enough to make anyone remain normal. And I said, uh, well, you know, my mum is of Italian parents. She was born in Wales. Her parents both emigrated over just after the uh, First World War. Um, my father, Irish background, again, of Irish descent, born in Ireland. His parents came over at a similar time. Um, so they're both immigrants, but in Ireland and Italy, both very much the affiliation of food, especially when you've come out of a war generation. Food is everything. You know, my grandmother never wasted a thing. And if you went into her fridge at her home in where she lived up the road from us in, in Essex, you know, you lifted any saucer. She didn't believe in cling film. It was always covered with a plate. You know, there was always something there. It might even be a two spoons of something, but she would never throw anything away. And I think when you've lived through not having food, you really respect that. And as a result, and also I think especially with the Italians as much, um, food was our socialising. You know, I wouldn't use the word foodie. We, My grandmother and them instilled in my mother and her sisters and her, her brother, you know, you sat around a table and you spoke to one another. That was how you, you learned about each other's day. And for me, my mum's biggest thing is we grew up 
because unfortunately my father died when we were quite young, is that we all sat down and had dinner together. You know, that was the thing. We never had the TV on. We never did dinner on our laps and watched TV. It was just unheard of, you know. And so we sat down and we talked about our day and my mum would force us to talk even if we didn't want to and we were sulky teenagers. And I think as a result, we all grew up and we're very tight. And then when you went to my grandmother's for supper, you sat around a table, even if it was just the two of you. And I think the only time I ever had, and I remember it because it was so rare, and this is how old I am, Ronald Reagan had just been voted in as president. And my grandmother said, oh, they've got a cowboy now as president, you know, because he was always in the Westerns. And, and we had uh, the TV on our lap on a, on a tray. And that was the only time I ever in my lifetime had it with her. Because, and, and that's become, and you know, that's become a very much a big part of all our family. And you see it with my cousins. They believe we all sit around and and, and meals are a big thing. And uh, and I think as a result, you are tight together. And I think one of the saddest things sometimes is that families don't. And I don't think, not every, listen, our lives have changed. My mum didn't work every night till six o'clock. She fortunately was home at four most nights and she could put a meal together and we'd sit down. Not everyone has that luxury. People are working hard, longer hours. But I think if you can at least do once or twice a week with your family, I think that's such an important time together I really do and it's not about a big family it's not about even being the traditional 2.2 mum dad and a dog it doesn't matter if you've got some sort of commitment to another person having that even myself and Neil we don't have kids but last night we could have sat and watched a movie we sat down together we talked a little bit and we just had dinner and that was it you know and then I said I'll clear up and you know but it's time together and mm. that's important no, I think. To- totally and utterly mm. with you 100% on that and it's something we've always done and even this morning uh, we made uh, an omelette Kenny and I um, and I've got this thing about putting a placemat down all the time. So Ooh, very good. It's not really no, to, it's no just, stains. It's not well, it's not to be kind of fancy. It's almost just saying right this that it's kind of um, it's, chore- it's the, the choreography, scene. yeah, almost mm. of the meal. And so yeah. you know, we had an omelet together and a cup of coffee and just that's just what we always do. So the kids because they've always grown up that way, you know, they don't even think about it. they just start putting placemats out and setting the table because they know that we're going to all sit down together and I really and even more now I think as they're older, you really cherish those conversations and that time where you're just chewing the fat and kind of uh you know really catching up as you say it is it is sadly is a bit of a lost art isn't it and it feels like something that we should really try and and get back yeah and and I think you said it earlier you know if we want to be a healthier nation I think it again it's that rushing of food and I I have a terrible habit I mean Neil and I can literally wolf our food down because you're so used to in you know, a a work environment quick, you know, I'm so busy, blah, blah, blah. But actually, one of the big things at work is I say, you know, I get so annoyed when I, oh, I'm too busy. I said, no, you're a kitchen, you're cooking food. Take the time out as a team and sit down and have lunch, have dinner, breakfast, whatever it is. But you've got to clear your head for 15 minutes, half an hour, whatever it is. You cannot just relentlessly. And I think that's the same at home. You know, even if I'm by myself, I, I would never stand up I would just sit down and I would have it by myself because I think just you know taking that time is important for you yeah uh, Neil is your partner husband who is mm. a bit younger than you not loads yeah but um when you first met him Enough. I, it, <laughs> it wouldn't be even be an issue though I don't think it's the other way around so I was no. kind of loath to mention it but only because no, I've read worry. I've read that you said that when you first met you were slightly concerned thinking he was a bit 
too young. Mm. And it, yes, took, it was yeah. a bit of a slow burn, wasn't it, at the beginning? Yeah, we've been, we'd been friends. When Neil worked for me, he, came, he joined me when he was much younger. Uh, I, I was opening the Connor. He came in as a chef departure. But we always got on very well. He always made me laugh. And whenever I do events or private dinners, I'd always take Neil. One, because he was an incredibly good chef and still is. Um, and I know I can rely on him. And two, we'd just have good fun. And then he went off to work in France and we still remained friends and I would go out to visit him. So it wasn't till he was sort of in his 30s or early 30s or, or late 20s maybe, and I was sort of in my f- early 40s that I felt actually now it feels like he's grown up and I'm in the right place. So, um, But yeah, he is much younger. But lots of people, you never realise that. You know, it's a lot of friends took a while to realise that there was quite an age difference. But it doesn't seem to add, because actually Neil's one of these people that always has preferred older people. Like most of his friends are much older anyway. He's just one of these guys that is like that. It works. And you mentioned there that you come home and eat together. I'm fascinated to learn how that works in terms of who who's in charge. You know, who who who's the person that would most likely be cooking? Or is it complete split? Or who decides the menu? Because obviously he runs his own restaurant as well, we should just say. Um, so I suppose it depends what's in the fridge and who's there. So if we fancy something like a quick bowl of pasta, it's generally I make that. But like, for instance, last night, and this will sound incredibly lavish, but Go on. It, honestly, it really is this. I think in our first time in our whole life together, we've done this. Neil was working Saturday night. They closed Sunday, Monday at the French house. So he doesn't want stuff to go off. And he'd done it. He'd put a lobster special on and mm. he had two left over. Mm. So he bought them home with him on the tube on Saturday <laughs> night and cooked them. And so we had, I said, well, we've got to eat those lobsters that are cold. So he made a lobster mayonnaise and he'd made some salad and that's what we had. Wow. And, uh, you know, and it's, now I wouldn't have, I would have probably just, yeah, made pasta out of it. But it, that, so it just depends if there's meat, uh, you know, Neil might cook it, I might, it's, it's whoever's in the mood. Did you have some champagne with it as well? No, we didn't. We were very good. We had water. I said I'll clear up, yeah. Yeah, just, just your average Monday night lobster. Just your average Monday lobster. <laughs> I know, we sound, we sound like a right pair of tools. That's, the, that's, honestly, the, that's the bit that will be the headline from this. Angela, yeah. Angela Hartner eats lobster on a eats Monday. Eats lobster on a Monday night. <laughs> I, honestly, I swear on my dog's life, that is the first time we've done that ever. But do, yeah. is it is it very common for you two to catch yourself kind of talking food, though? Do you find yourselves discussing recipes or or is it kind of, right, okay, that was work? We'll talk about something else. Um, I think, I mean, Neil, uh, I think it's more, uh, not necessarily so because we're both chefs, I think it's more our personalities. I'm someone who can come in and just switch off from work. Whether I was with Neil or someone else, I don't need to talk about it. I don't necessarily need to go through my day and analyse it or talk about who, who's done this or who's done that. Well, Neil is an offloader. He loves the chat. You know, he will love to talk about it. And if I wasn't there, he'd talk to, to, to you know, whoever so was going to listen. So you know? like my, my husband is exactly, yeah. I'm the similar to you. I, something massive could have happened in my day. I've put it to one side. He wants to kind of go through, you know, then I met this person, then we did this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it is. And I've got a similar friend, Karen and Steve, they're the same. She's a top lawyer and she will just switch. That's it. Doesn't need to talk about it. Boom. Whereas, you know, Steve would always come home and over tell her, this, you know, and it's like, I said, I know, once I'm done, I'm So we might, talk about food we might talk about restaurants or you know stuff etc etc like last night we went to um a friend russell norman he's just done a book bruto so we went there first and 
you know, we were chatting about that. But, you know, sometimes, but it's certainly not a day of I don't come in and share my day. And then sometimes when Neil overshares, I'll be absolutely honest. I'll be very selfish. Go, That's it. I don't want to hear anymore. I'm not interested in what this cook did or what the kitchen porter didn't do. That's it, Neil. <laughs> go and talk to someone else. I don't want to hear it Just jot it down, anymore. love. Go yeah. and put it on your iPad. <laughs> talk to, go and ring a mate. I'm not interested. You know, I'll be brutal. I will be brutal. You, you yeah. mentioned earlier on that in the early stages of your perimenopause, menopause, you kind of found yourself not wanting to go out as much and spend time on your own. How is the friendship scene for you generally anyway? Because it must be difficult when your job is to entertain and be in restaurants in the evenings. Finding those times to catch up with friends is, is even more difficult than, than other busy people. So have you found yourself, and you're very close, I know, to your family. Um, have you found yourself kind of in the Elizabeth Day sense, culling friends or changing friendship groups as you've hit middle life? <laughs> well, I've always, um, I've got a core group of sort of four girlfriends friends that I've known since school and we don't need to see each other every week and we probably see each other six times a year um, and it will be around birthdays and stuff like that and I'm always the not always but sometimes another friend of ours she she flies for a living so it's around her schedule but this, I've just realized I've double booked the day we're all supposed to be going in November so I'm about to change send that. a whatsapp <laughs> and yeah upset everyone with that so you know there's a and then what I have realized is obviously as Neil and I have been married and you know we've established a life in London and we're part of I suppose a hospitality world we're finding we have a lot of friends in that business together and actually that's pretty lovely I've got to say that because there was I would say through my 30s. I probably didn't have lots of, I had lots of friends, but not in the hospitality business. And it probably kept me in good stead. But now it feels right in this time of life. It's lovely to go out with other couples and go and have a great meal together. You know, it's nice to go away for a weekend and have a foodie weekend together. So not all the time and not every weekend and not every night. And it's equally great to go out with friends that have nothing to do with the business. But I do like that, actually. You know, we've got a great weekend coming up, a load of us in Scotland. And where are you going? Business where are you going? We're going up to Ely, mm-hmm. um, which is on the East Coast. And we're going to visit friends, again, friends in the business. My friends James and Alethea, who run a pub called the Canooker Inn in Kilconka. And we're, we've all rented a house. And there's, I think there's 12 of us. And we're all in the business bar two people, you know. Uh, so you so, all walk into a restaurant and they yeah. they absolutely quake in their boots. <laughs> 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 yeah, probably. Um, but no, James is an old friend, so he knows exactly. But, it, you know, it coincides. There's a friend who's 60th birthday, there's another friend who's other birth, you know, and it's just, and someone in their 60s got married this year. So, you know, there's it will be a good lot of people and it's not all couples, male and female, you know, there's uh, gay couples there. So it's it's a good mix and I'll bring the dogs and we'll have a great weekend. That you know? sounds so, absolutely delightful. So you somehow managing to balance all that, which is, is, I think it's an art, isn't it? To kind of keep all those things going and, and make sure you do have time for the people who mean so much to you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Now, food is, uh, as well as being your profession and uh, your life to a certain extent, um, we're learning more and more about the kinds of foods that are, are good for, for women and men in the midlife and you know what, what happens to your body with the menopausal hormonal changes. Have you noticed your diet changing or did you kind of consciously change anything about your diet when you hit this period? Um, I think, I don't think my diet did change and I don't think I consciously did. What I have now in the last sort of, well, I've been talking about it and actually bizarrely it's coincided with my friend James. Um, we started yesterday, we said we're going to not diet as in follow a diet, but just start reducing stuff. And my probably biggest weakness is carbs and I like to have a drink. And and now I know I feel so much better if I don't have a drink the night before. So I'm trying to just reduce that and knock that on the head for a while. You know, you're lethargic when you eat carbohydrates. So try and... And I love vegetables. So for me, it's not a big thing. One thing I do I have conscious... Well, consciously or unconsciously, but I feel it's happening is less red meat. It's just something I'm not fancying anymore. Occasionally, I might go out to dinner and I might have something. But generally, I will either have the fish option, the veg option, or, you know, at home, you know, we'll just have vegetables rather than meat or chicken because I just feel it feels heavier on me and I, I'm not enjoying it as much. So I think, yeah, probably that has helped. To, and I think when you go through something like the menopause, you reassess everything to a degree. And the one thing a friend of mine, we talk about a lot is... um where you want to be at 80 and 90. And as one very funny friend said, well, alive for a start. And I said, yes, all right, that's a given. You know, how healthy do you want to be? How do you, you know, and I think it's work backwards, isn't it? And every Sunday, my friend and I, Basil, we go for a walk on the Heath and Hampstead Heath. We're lucky we take all the dogs. And I said, we still want to be able to do this at 80 and 90. So we've got to keep doing these things. So I think I don't, you know, necessarily need to be drinking all the time at 80, 90, so I can cut that out now. And you talk to a lot of people who have reduced it. They feel much better for it. It's not, diet's not rocket science. You know what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. And, you know, I unfortunately like all the bad stuff. I don't like sugar and I don't like sweet stuff, but carbohydrates are full of, you know, the sugar anyway. So it, it's the same thing. Well, it isn't rocket science, but there is science involved in it. So our expert today is a medical scientist and public health nutritionist, Dr. Federica Amati, and she has just brought out recipes for a better menopause. Oh, fantastic. Um, Hi, Federica. I, I do believe, Angela, that you know Federica's co-author. Jane Baxter. Yes, yes. Yes, love Jane, yes. And I did a note for the cover, yes. She sent me, I think she's sending me a book, so I'm looking forward to it. I've seen the proofs, but I'm looking forward for the hard copy. Excellent. Well, Federica mm. can tell us a little bit about how the book came to be. First of all, uh, Federica, can you explain to us, because I, I read this fantastic article, which was about the book and you, in which you talked a little bit um, about how actually the diet that you're on, the food that you eat, can lead to you starting your menopause earlier or a little bit later, depending on what it's been. Oh, yeah. So, so tell us, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, thanks for having me. Forty-five percent of the variance in age is actually genetic. I'll just start with that. So, some people will enter menopause earlier, and there is a strong genetic component there. But for the variation in in us in our individual selves, if you look at dietary patterns and the likelihood of entering menopause early, there's a really clear pattern from some quite recent studies that show people who have a diet higher in very refined carbohydrates, so white rice, white pasta, um, and white bread, and ultra-processed foods and red meats tend to enter menopause earlier. Now, entering the menopause earlier, as we know, is detrimental for our health. So it does carry more health risks than entering menopause at average age, which is about 51. 
Um, what's interesting though is that on the flip side of that, if you are somebody who carries uh, more fat mass, so overweight, yes, but actually it's more about how much adipose tissue you carry than just your weight. People that have higher fat mass tend to enter menopause later. So they can sometimes, you know, menopause can range up to about 55. I had one client who entered menopause at 55 and a half, nearly 56. So it's not that, it's not, you're not better off entering later and you're not better off entering earlier. It is really about trying spot. to get to a sweet spot. <laughs> mm. And the diet can push that date either way. Um, so entering a bit earlier has risks for cardiovascular disease, heart disease, and for example, osteoporosis. But entering menopause later does increase risk of endometrial cancers, ovarian cancers, and breast cancer. So it's just about, we know that a healthy diet that does tend to support general health for men and women tends to result in entering menopause at the average age, or at least at the age that your genetic predisposition allows, if that makes sense, which makes sense in terms of physiology, because really we know that a diet high in ultra processed foods, high in very, very high in refined carbohydrates and red meats is more pro-inflammatory generally for the body and inflammation speeds up aging and entering menopause earlier is one of the signs that that's happened. So it's all, it's all kind of connected and it's quite exciting to see now that there's really good science being done to show how the diet can actually impact the stage of entering menopause in such a direct way. And so what you have done is is collate and curate a book that's got recipes which are designed to help people who are in this period of life. So what are you focusing on in terms of your food groups? Yeah, so the book is really interesting because actually I was asked to write a book uh, by myself and then Helena, our publisher, said, you know, I'm working with this really great chef called Jane Baxter. She's doing some recipes would you like to work together? And I honestly couldn't think of anything, but I love working with women. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I would absolutely love that because I'm really, I'm not a chef. I can cook. I'm Italian, Angela. So it's, in, oh, you know, fantastic. I've been brought up It's in cook, the blood. But I'm definitely not a chef. So when, when I was like offered this opportunity, I was like, 100%, I would love to do that. So what Jane and I did was we decided to sort of work together. The first half of the book is really the science behind diet and nutrition and menopause. And, you know, I start off by saying there isn't enough science on it. So that we need to do way more research on this field because it's moved quite slowly. It started quite late. And whilst we do have these really amazing initial studies, the Zoe menopause study is one of the biggest we have, there needs to be a lot more research done. So the first half of the book is looking at the science we do have. And then just as Angela said earlier, what do we know about what, how diet can help us for the long term? Because longevity is really the real interest point, I think. We want to live long, happy lives. We want to be 85 walking our dogs mm. on Hampstead mm. Heath, right? So <laughs> how do we... And there's plenty of science and, and research done around that. So the book focuses very much on how to help women through the perimenopause and menopause and that change, prepare for the higher risks that we have postmenopausally when we've kind of gone through that, but then also look ahead to the next second half of our lives, and it's 40 years for a lot of us, um, that we'll be living postmenopausally. And what, how can we optimize that and enjoy that? And so Jane and I work together to focus on foods that are very high in polyphenols, very colorful, vibrantly colored like vegetables and fruits, lots of herbs and spices, nuts and seeds. The article you just referred to, Gabby, I love Jane's quote where she said, she said, like, I want to make eating nuts and seeds delicious and not feel like you're at hippie festival. <laughs> so she's, been an she's been so fun to work with. And so she, Jane's recipes are delicious, but they're also based on the evidence we have of having more plants in our diet, 
more fiber, more polyphenols, more spices and herbs, making sure we're using extra virgin olive oil, and also making sure our food is nourishing and actually really satiating. Because, you know, we've grown up in a world where we're told, you know, eat as little as possible, make sure you're having sort of grilled chicken and a sweet potato and a broccoli and that's it. And a rice cake is a great snack. And honestly, like, no one's happy eating like that. So what we really... What we really wanted to do was create a book that explains the science, but then also gives you delicious food that you can actually enjoy cooking and enjoy eating with your whole family, with your partner, with your friends, and feel good about it. You know, the amount of women I work with who come to me and they say, I I hardly eat anything. I'm so tired. And yet I haven't lost any weight. And I feel terrible. And, you know, one of the first things I say to them is actually you need to eat more food. And they look at me and they're like, did you hear the bit when I said I want to lose weight? (laughs) And I said, yes, yes, yes. You need to eat more food if you want to get to a healthy weight. Your body right now is not happy. That's why you're so tired. So let's bring it back to eating properly. It also reduces the risk of snacking between meals. We did a study on snacking. And it's interesting because a lot of people have very healthy meals. They try and get their salad and their chicken and they tick, tick, tick. But then they don't eat enough and there's not enough variety or flavor. So then end up snacking in between meals. And often those snacks are ultra processed on the go, snack bars, crisps, things that actually then are detrimental and undo some of that really good work we did with the meals. So if we have really lovely, nourishing, satiating meals, we're also much more likely to not feel hungry throughout the day and then reach for whatever's in sight. And I think um, hopefully, I mean, I've tried some of the recipes and I've been lucky enough to have Jane cook some of them for me and they're delicious and keep you really feeling happy and full. And that's what we want. We want people to, women and men who read this book, because it's for everybody, of course, we all have women in our lives, leave it feeling happy and like they've had something delicious and good for them, nourishing. So your energy levels will be much better. And we also, in the book, we talk about the data around diet and sleep quality, for example. Now, Gabby, I heard you say earlier, like sleep disturbance is one of the highest reported symptoms of menopause, about 86% of women, which is really high. <laughs> and so, and as we said, like, it's really hard to function if you're sleep deprived. So we know that diet can really help with those symptoms and one of them being sleep, but also symptoms, vasomotor symptoms, so all the night sweats and the hot flushes, they're closely linked to how our overall cardiovascular health is. So there's a a nice study came out quite recently that showed that vasomotor symptoms are associated with cardiovascular health. So if we're looking after ourselves overall, we'll also help ourselves Mm. with the menopause transition and importantly, the post-menopause period, which I'm actually, I'm excited about it. And I work with women who, like me, are still like pre or perimenopausal. And they're like, oh my God, I'm so scared. I'm like, but why we have mm. such a great horizon? Mm. Look at that. We're going to be, we're going to be like fluctuation free. I suffer with hormonal migraines and stuff. I mean, I'm quite excited to have a period of life where things are fairly mm. constant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's changing that narrative yeah. as well of how can we make this less scary? Yeah, because yeah, that's one of the things I'm always mindful of, that you don't want to be, you want, you need to talk about it to raise awareness of things that people need to be, you know, aware of. But you also don't want younger women thinking, Jesus Christ, I mean, you know, this sounds horrific. What's, mm. you know, I don't, I'm not sure I want to get to that stage. So it's not, it's not scary. It's about 
future-proofing. I think that's what really describes mm. what you were talking about there as well, Angela. So give us some yeah. actual food takeaways then, Federica, that people should be incorporating. Mushrooms, I, I, I keep reading about. Mushrooms, yeah. yeah. Mushrooms are great, don't get me wrong. And there's actually some nice data to show that eating mushrooms daily can have positive impacts on health. But I'm just talking about your standard mushrooms here. So we don't have like masses of data on medicinal mushrooms yet. They're coming out, turkey tail does, for breast cancer. Very specific. But generally speaking, just good old-fashioned mushrooms, chestnut, oyster, whatever you like. And what really have they got in them that's so good for us? Well, so mushrooms are technically genetically very odd. They're more similar to humans. <laughs> so they have very... <laughs> I know, it's really interesting. They have very specific chemicals in them that are plant chemicals. We call them plant chemicals, though they're not plants, only made by mushrooms. And they interact with our bodies in a way that reduces inflammation. They seem to be able to like improve our immune function so that they are quite quite strange and quite exciting and they do sit in their own little bracket because they're so unique so adding mushrooms there was a beautiful study done in the US they took lots tens of thousands of people and asked them about their mushroom consumption over time and people who ate more mushrooms were overall healthier had reduced risk of cardiovascular disease and also mushrooms if you leave them on a windowsill in the sun now it's tricky because it's not very sunny in the UK but they do actually they're quite vitamin D rich. So they're one of the sources of vitamin D in our diet, which is really, really great to get for mushrooms. Um, so mushrooms, yes, they do have their own place. But overall, so one of the things that we found in the zone menopause study was women who ate more plants, regardless of whether they were fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, just more of them. And even if they still ate meat, right? So carnivores as well. They had much reduced risk of serious symptoms by like 30%, which is actually quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And what was really exciting about that finding is that even women who did have a higher BMI, maybe suffered with obesity, they still had symptom reduction if they ate more plants. And that's really encouraging because we know that, as I said earlier, adiposity and carrying some excess body fat is quite detrimental for menopause. And so it's nice to have something that's actionable regardless mm -hmm. of your body mm -hmm. size. Because I think it's quite unhelpful to say, oh, well, you know, you just need to be, mm. have a lower BMI. It's like, well, thanks, but I'm here now. So what can I do now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and eating more plants seems to have this really powerful impact. So plants includes nuts and seeds. Whole grains and legumes are the unsung heroes of the Mediterranean diet. Hardly anyone actually eats them every single day. So sometimes I'm asked, what, what things can I just do today? And I say, get some whole grains, get some legumes, get some mushrooms, and if you're not allergic, nuts and seeds. Legumes, and legumes is that like um, lentils and things like that? Lentils and beans and chickpeas, green peas. Just having some of them every single day, try that for a couple of weeks. And it's actually quite powerful. And it's, you know, across all the research we have for longevity, pulses and whole grains are present in literally every diet. So whether you're looking at blue zones, Mediterranean diet, they all have whole grains and pulses and legumes. And it's something that we are not, we've kind of stopped doing in the UK. And so often that's the simplest thing to do is just yeah. to start adding them back in. Thank you so much. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the recipes and, uh, and, mm. and cooking them as well. Uh, and yeah. Angela, I, I can feel a kind of heartnut menopause meal coming on at some point. You know, Well, I've just literally on a bit of paper written down whole grains, pulses, legumes, because that's the other thing, your memory, you know. So because I don't use enough of uh, pulses, although I love them, like mm. lentils for me, mm. oh, my God, I could just eat them by the cat. And, you know, and I do love chickpeas. So it, and actually it's an easy win because I think sometimes people think, oh, God, I've got to go and soak them and cook them. But you can go buy 
cheap tin of you know chickpeas and that and you're getting it all from there yeah. and as you right. say it's slow release as well it's energy and it's yeah. filling and, and all those really things yeah supports your gut microbiome which is so crucial for long term health and and they're cheap this is yeah. another thing it's yeah all of these foods i mean nuts can be expensive but mixed seeds mixed nuts mixed beans do your half the work for you and they're cheaper and you've got different varieties in that tin so it makes it easier as well and then another, another thing that i gabby that i just want to touch on because i hear this a lot now um there's a quite a, a big trend in fasting for menopause mm-hmm. and i just think it's really important to say that the human studies that we have on fasting don't support the need for these really long fasts in women and actually, they can be quite detrimental. What we do know now, um, again, th- we did this at Zoe. It was the largest intermittent fasting study in the world. And we did this for 12 weeks, just having a 12 to 14 hour window overnight. So say you have your dinner at 7 p.m., just wait to have breakfast until 9, 9 a.m. the next day. Having that really nice window of overnight fasting has a really positive impact on our energy level, our mood and our hunger Mm. And this study was with an app, so at people's homes, so in real life settings, so not in a clinic. There wasn't, mm. con- you know, this is people actually doing this in real life. They were able to stick to it for the two week intervention period. And people actually continued on for six weeks, then eight weeks, then 12 weeks. <laughs> Some people kept wanting to do it because they felt so good. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to be starving yourself from six o'clock in the evening until one o'clock the next day to have the Please benefits. Please don't. Mm. Is, there's so much of that going around at the moment and water fasts and only eating four hour windows. And there just isn't the data to support it. And it's not sustainable in the long term, right? Yeah. And uh, we talked about the importance of social connection with food. Mm-hmm. That literally just completely yeah, kills yeah. that. I'm on so, a fast. Could you come around for dinner at 3pm, please? Because that's the last time I'm allowed to <laughs> yes. eat. Yeah. Federica, thank you so much. You gave us a lot thank of you. information there for us to absorb. And it's really important as well, I think, when you have that real life data, as you say, and those studies that are the biggest that have been done to share those results. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. Angela, the learnings about midlife menopause, food, all you know, it feels like we're, we're in this really rich period of research and actually mm. learning more all the time. Yeah. But everything comes back to the gut and food, doesn't it? It does. And, and you know, and you actually read people like Tim Spector over in Incredible Books and Dan Saladino all about food and the lost, lost foods that we eat. And you read culturally how so much the gut was so part of it and the Mediterranean diet, you know, and it is lots of it post-war, how we suddenly the fast food and convenience and all the rest of it has come in. But actually, you know, and as, as we say, it's, it's not rocket science, but in a way it is because, you know, it is look after your gut and the rest will look after you. And I think there's nothing more important than looking after your health and your body to make sure, you know, what you are, what you are, you eat. So, the more good things you put into you. And we know it, you know, you feel it yourself exactly as um, Frederica said, you know, you put great stuff in you, you're going to feel better about it. And I love the fact she said about the fasting because I hear that a lot when I see friends. I said, they said, we fast every third day. We just don't eat 200 calories or something. And I'm like, there's no way I can survive on that. But the idea, because I don't actually have breakfast, so that works perfectly for me, eat early. And then just last till nine, ten o'clock. And that's perfect. And if you are working, if you are in the kitchen, do you try not to eat when you get home at midnight or one in the morning? Oh, definitely. Yes. I mean, I stopped, tried to do that a long time ago. And one of the reasons I cycle is, uh, in London um, is because it sort of clears your head 
fresh air, clears your head. By the time I get home, I've sort of anything I've had to think about, I've done. And so I'm ready for bed, you know, a hot drink or a cup of tea and then, you know, a herbal and then that's me done. Whereas if I was getting the tube or driving, then I would sort of still, my mind would still be going a bit more and and I don't want to be uh, eating late at night. No, and I've, you know, I am a restaurant's dream. I'm one of these people now that likes to eat at six o'clock. You know, I said the other night, this they said six o'clock, I said, yep, take it, home by eight, in bed by 10. You know, that is that is a dream night for me. So, you know, it, it you know, and I think most people, you know, we all laugh about that and sort of, you know, you look at your parents, you say, oh my God, they used to, but actually as you get older, you don't want three meals a day. And your body doesn't need three meals a day. You know, you do need nutrition, but you don't need mounds of it and you don't need it all the time. So I think, you know, I think our bodies can do with a little rest. Yeah, listening to yourself, isn't it? That um, I think mm, is the most important thing, having exactly. time to do that as well yeah. and making time. Oh, I, I'm so uh, delighted to have had you on The Midpoint because oh, um, it's been a pleasure. you are such a positive and brilliant woman and, you know, doing amazing, still doing amazing oh, thank things. thank you. And, it, and we need you out there. So, Angela, thank you so much brilliant thank you Gabby it's honestly it's a real honour to meet you and I'm a big fan I love watching you on TV oh. with all the sports and everything you're brilliant oh, I'll so definitely keep that we'll on get then. you on the podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll we'll, go we'll make definitely that. keep that you're, you're yeah. off to make um, lamb ragu with some students so um, yes yeah, so I, I know I've got no lamb in because I'm about to have lunch but I might have to make some lentils I think after that chat exactly <laughs> that would be good anyway thanks for having me it's been great thank, thank you, you. Angela is so easy to talk to, isn't she? I really enjoyed that. And I loved chatting about food, especially being at the heart of family life. It's so important to me. It's a non-negotiable. We all sit down together as often as we can. And of course, there are no screens at the table as well. So everybody starts chatting about whether it's their day or things they've been thinking about. And it definitely more than ever feels to be something that we should nurture and encourage. And Dr. Amati was brilliant. I urge you to check out Recipes for a Better Menopause. And don't forget about humble legumes and the mushrooms. Goodness me. And if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating or a review. That will really help more midpointers to find the podcast. So thanks, as always, to you for being with me today and to Spiritland Productions for producing. I'll be back next Wednesday. Catch you then. 